Sask Ag Today is brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner. Sask Ag Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Ag Today. Coming up on today's program, the 34th annual Grain Millers Harvest Showdown in Yorkton will run next week from Wednesday through Saturday. We'll hear from commercial cattle show and sale co-chair Brett Callen and how everything's lining up for this next weekend. As well, the underused housing tax is meant to curtail foreign ownership of housing through trusts in Canada's large cities. However, in some circumstances, farmers are being hit with the need to file a return for the underused housing tax. SaskAgToday.com Chief Agricultural Editor Kevin Hirsch will explain that for us. And three months into the current crop year, China is off to a slow start for Canadian canola purchases. We'll hear from Mike Jubinville, who is a senior analyst with Markets Farm. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of SaskAg Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, we've been getting some very light snow flurries here all morning. Can we expect this to continue? Yeah, it's going to be hard to break this. Uh, although, it's worth noting, it likely is going to stop just long enough to notice it stops before it starts up again. Uh, it's the, that sort of pattern where uh, there's a lot of different uh, different sources of energy that are really driving all these uh, different periods of clouds. And really, it has not been one system that's producing all this uh, persistence through the snow, through the flurries. It's one disturbance after another. And uh, the next one is going to be uh, rolling through as early as tonight. Uh, one batch of upper-level energy clears this afternoon, and then the next one comes through. There's a lot less moisture with it. Each one of these is encountering increasingly drier air. That's why we went from uh, the steady accumulating snow to some flurries with some light accumulations to now mostly nuisance flurries. And that's really what we should have uh, again tomorrow, though. The question becomes during the mid-morning hours especially, just how much the instability can overcome the limited moisture. And it wouldn't be out of the question to see some very minor amounts of uh, snowfall, not uh, really much more than a centimeter in a few spots, and even most of it less than that. But it will be there. It'll be around through the day, uh, through the morning, and then through the afternoon. Things should wind back down as we uh, generally clear out. Not much significant uh, weather in our forecast uh, for the next few days. Though another one of those same type systems comes through Saturday night, brings that nuisance-type flurry. Monday, we get some nuisance-type flurries, and all told, Let's see, that's today's leftovers, it's tonight, it's Saturday night, it's Sunday, Sunday night. 
we're talking about one to two centimeters over that uh, span. So no, uh, no, nothing major here. Temperatures, though, are not going to be warming either. Just as the weather is persistent, the temperatures, the cold is just as persistent. We're stuck in the uh, minus single numbers around minus two for this afternoon. And just enough of a breeze to drop the wind chill a bit uh, through those upper minus single numbers, minus eight to minus ten. For tonight, mostly cloudy. Those flurries do redevelop and then settle back down through the late morning tomorrow. Minus 7 overnight and minus 3 tomorrow. Minus 9 on the average tomorrow. There's a chance for some flurries during the later part of the night. There likely could be a 4 to 5 degree range across a pretty small area of temperatures because of the uh, variable sky. There will be some thicker cloud and those flurries around, but where the clouds are a little thinner... Temperatures have a little more room to, to drop, so we could see some areas get on minus 11, minus 12, others with a thicker overcast through the night up at uh, minus 7. Is that 4? Yeah, that's 4 or 5 degrees. Uh, Sunday, mostly cloudy, some flurries, uh, mainly, again, early in the day through much of Sunday were uh, at least dry with cloud and partial sunshine. Mostly cloudy on Monday, another round of flurries. This one, probably one of the most significant uh, the best chance of producing the, one of those half-centimeter amounts Monday afternoon. Uh, and then we'll clear out for Tuesday. It looks to uh, break out of the uh, cold and gray. Not the cold, just the cold and gray. And the difference being, it'll feel a little better when the sun comes out. Minus two on Tuesday and uh, back up to around the freezing mark for Wednesday. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour. The Paw is at minus two degrees. Swan River minus 3, Dauphin minus 1, Brandon and Roblin minus 4, Show Lake Russell minus 5. Regina, Broadview Mooseman, Indian Head all reporting in at minus 5, Saskatoon, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington minus 4, Hudson Bay minus 2. The Yorkton, Melville region still has some light snow. A west-northwest wind at 18 kilometers an hour. 85% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 3 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 9 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of minus 4 degrees and dropped to a low of minus 10 degrees. There was no precipitation recorded in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is plus 4 degrees. The normal low is minus 5 degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 7.34 this morning, and it will set at 5.33 this afternoon. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday... The Manitoba hotspot was a tie between Gimli and Victoria Beach. They both got up to plus 4 degrees. The cold spot was Show Lake at minus 12 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was Nipuan at plus 1 degree. The cold spot was East End at minus 18 degrees. Welcome back to Saskag Today. The 34th Annual Grain Millers Harvest Showdown in Yorkton will run next week from Wednesday, November 1st to Saturday, November 4th. Commercial Cattle Show and Sale co-chair Brett Callan says they ended up with a lot of entries this year. Yeah, actually for the futurity and the commercial show and sale there, we're, uh, we've got a full barn, which is, which is awesome to see. We haven't had that for, 
for a few years and it's it's just great to see the support that we got from uh from the local cattle producers on that end of things so it's going to be an, an awesome show and sale there on friday and saturday uh, november 3rd and 4th he tells us what's lined up for friday yeah on friday we've got our fraturity heifer uh show going on so uh what that is 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 guys actually bring heifers that they're not selling so they bring them as heifer calves the first year then the second year they can come as breads and the third year you can bring them as cow calf pairs so that's pretty awesome that uh people can bring them all the way through we've got a few pans of cow calf pairs this year so uh hats off to those producers that are able to bring those animals all the way through for three years uh also you know i know it's a long ways away for most folks but um Thinking of breeding season, you know, uh, price of these calves right now, it's, it's awesome to walk around and look and see it's some top quality bulls for sale. So our pen of bull show is, is going on that day, and that happens at 2 o'clock. Uh, so if you're looking, you know, maybe you want to, want to get out there, start scouting early for some bulls for next year. Uh, we've got, uh, I believe there's 17 pens of bulls there, so a good turnout for bulls as well. Also, the uh, the Breeders' Alley is open, so there's there's 15 different uh, purebred producers in there showing off some top-quality livestock that uh, I know some of them are down in Brandon here this week, and, and uh, those animals will be trailing down to Agribition as well. So uh, definitely not short of uh, top-quality animals coming to coming to Yorkton as well so that's what uh, that's what will take place on Friday um, also got the cattleman's reception going on that night so beef on the bun supper uh, come on down and take a look at stuff throughout the evening there as well. Callan then moves on to Saturday's agenda. Yeah Saturday that's all our commercial stuff so whatever shows that day is selling um, so if you want to come down and take a look at stuff in the ring beforehand uh, the show starts at 11 o'clock in the morning, so that'll be open and bred heifers. Uh, we've got a handful of pens of opens for sale this year, which is awesome to see. And then I believe there's uh, there's going to be 19 pens of bred heifers for sale, so pens of threes and pens of fives. So if you're looking for top-quality animals to add to your herd, this is uh, definitely a place to come. The, uh, the actual sale will take place at four o'clock uh right on right on grounds there uh right in the agri pavilion if you are unable to make it though we also have it live on dlms the entire show and sale so uh any cattle producers are quite familiar with that broadcasting uh um, platform so if you want to take a look at that i i suggest take a look at that a little ahead of time if you want to register to think about bidding uh online so there's lots of options no reason to miss it and like i said there's uh lots of great quality heifers everything from january calvers all the way to may june calvers so a little bit of uh, everything available there brett callan is a co-chair of the commercial cattle show and sale at the 34th annual green millers harvest showdown next week from wednesday november 1st to saturday november 4th in yorkton it's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. The premiers of Ontario and Quebec are calling on both sides in the St. Lawrence Seaway strike to reach a deal right away saying the shutdown of the vital trade artery risks significant harm to the region's economy. In a joint statement yesterday, Doug Ford and Francois Legault said they were pleased the two parties were set to return to the negotiating table alongside federal mediators today, but urged Ottawa to use whatever tools it has on hand 
to bring about a resolution should an agreement fail to emerge immediately. The job action by 361 Unifor members at 13 of the 15 locks along the waterway kicked off Sunday, shutting it down immediately. Wages are the key sticking point in the dispute. The Seaway, which runs for 300 kilometres between Lake Erie and Montreal, carried $16.7 billion worth of cargo last year, much of it grain, iron ore, stone and road salt. Drought-affected Canadian ranchers are facing yet another difficult winter when it comes to feeding their livestock. In parts of southern Alberta and southwest Saskatchewan, five summers of back-to-back droughts have taken a toll on hay crops and native grasses. That means many ranchers are struggling to secure enough food to get their cattle through the winter. Industry group Alberta Beef Producers says many of its members have already had to downsize their herds sending cattle they can't afford to feed to slaughter. Last week, the federal and Alberta governments announced $165 million in drought relief funding for the industry this year, but ranchers say longer-term solutions are needed. Farm Credit Canada says dwindling cattle numbers and continued strong consumer demand for beef will also mean higher prices for consumers. Farmers in the U.S. will seed more soybeans in 2024-25, with Canadian canola plantings also expected to rise to a lesser extent. That's according to a grains and oilseeds analyst with Rabo Research Food and Agribusiness, a division of the Dutch multinational bank Rabobank, at the firm's Fall Harvest Outlook webinar. During the Wednesday webinar, Andrik Payen said in Canada... The price ratio between canola and spring wheat has softened since the beginning of summer, with Payen commenting that demand for spring wheat remained very strong. He also showed that despite a large increase in canola acres and a similar decline in wheat acres throughout the early 2000s, acreage numbers for both crops have plateaued since the 2010s and are nearly equal. Payen believes there could have been a larger amount of canola acres if it weren't for growers' strict crop rotations. Via Rail CEO Mario Pelliquin wants the federal government to give its passenger trains right-of-way over freight trains. That's as just 62% of Via Rail trains arrived on time in its latest quarter, which is an improvement from 53% a year earlier. Pelliquin also wants Ottawa to consider a passenger bill of rights like the one for air travellers, that would ensure VIA passengers get compensation for long delays. A grant from the Weston Family Foundation could help researchers at Kwantlen Polytechnic University put fresh summer berries on your table in midwinter. The million-dollar award pushes the Surrey-based researchers to the next stage in the Foundation's Homegrown Innovation Challenge, a competition involving 11 teams from universities across Canada. Quantlin researchers will use their funds over the next 18 months to develop and demonstrate a way to reliably, sustainably and competitively produce berries out of season in Canada. The KPU team, in collaboration with Simon Fraser University, hopes to grow strawberries and blackberries inside high-tech greenhouses in a pesticide-free, carbon-neutral environment, but other teams are using hydroponics, multi-layer growing, or other processes in a bid to win the challenge. 
A man from southwestern Manitoba is being celebrated for his gargantuan gourd. Jason Turwin has taken home a $1,500 prize after winning a competition at this year's Roland Pumpkin Fair in Roland, Manitoba. Turwin's pumpkin weighed in at more than 680 kilograms. It's his third year in a row winning the title, though Turwin says he was hoping to beat the all-time Manitoba record, which is more than 725 kilograms. And be sure to listen to the latest SaskAg Today podcast. It's brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford has been serving the Melville area for over 30 years. They focus on the future. Their staff are ready for what's to come. Ford Tech is changing all the time with new vehicle technology like EV, self-driving, and more. Get ready to drive into the future. Why? Because the future is Future Ford. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. Light snow and minus 3 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at the top of the hour. The underused housing tax is meant to curtail foreign ownership of housing through trusts in Canada's large cities. However, in some circumstances, farmers are being hit with the need to file a return for the underused housing tax. Although in most cases they're exempt from paying the tax, which is 1% of the house value, there's a stiff penalty for not filing the return. Kevin Hirsch, Chief Agricultural Editor for SaskAgToday.com, has this report. The deadline to file a 2022 return for the underused housing tax was extended to October 31st. Farm corporations that have employees housed on land owned by the corporation are among those affected. Alan Tastad is a partner in the Saskatoon accounting firm Hunje Tastad Harpam. For our practice here, we have B apiaries that uh, bring in uh, temporary foreign workers and they have to house these workers in employee residences. Now, in those situations, uh, there's no vacant days, really, so there's no tax of 1% that has to be paid. But if they don't file this return, there's a $10,000 filing penalty. In Tastad's opinion, mobile homes are exempt from needing to file. You might have a mobile home on a uh, farm quarter for, for an employee uh, that, that works for you. Now, mobile homes, if they're mobile, I was at a session yesterday, they said make sure there's tires on this thing. I, I don't go that far. A mobile home is exempt. So we don't have to file for mobile homes or trailers. Tastad says a house owned personally on a quarter of land owned by the farming corporation is another situation which may require the return. However, no returns are needed for houses on personally owned land. The accounting firm also sees situations where an individual keeps their name on the title of a house owned by a child or grandchild. That also triggers the need to file an underused housing return. The penalty for an individual not filing is $5,000. Tasted says his accounting firm has been charging $500 to file a return, but he has heard of other firms charging two or three times that amount. Someone that is going to miss the October 31st deadline is advised to talk with their tax advisor and possibly file a voluntary disclosure to Revenue Canada explaining their situation. 
Accounting firms have tried to reach out to their clients to avoid penalties, but some people may still be unaware and there's still lots of confusion over details of the tax. For SaskAg Today, I'm Kevin Hirsch. And it's time now for the livestock market conditions. They're a presentation of Heartland Livestock in Verdun. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for December closed at 182.22 today. That's up 290. February live cattle closed at 182.95, up to 55. November feeder cattle closed at 236.90, that's up 40. January feeder cattle closed at 235.70, up 62. December lean hogs closed at 70.47, that's up 185. February lean hogs closed at 73.50, up 167. And that's the livestock market conditions. Three months into the current crop year, China is off to a slow start for Canadian canola purchases. Mike Jubinville is a senior analyst with Markets Farm. He anticipates about 7.5 million metric tons of Canadian canola will be available for export once the domestic crushers have purchased their 10 to 10.5 million metric tons. Jubinville had penciled in 4 million of those export tons going to China, but we're not on pace for that number. China, so far this year, has been oddly sluggish in terms of contracting Canadian canola supply from us. Typically, I, I normally expect, starting around June, China contracting for fall delivery significant quantities of Canadian canola for that aggressive fall shipping program. And while they have been buyers, it hasn't been to the degree that we've seen, certainly in years in the past, prior to, say, the, the 2001 drought. The Chinese economy is struggling, and Jubinville wonders if there may be a connection to the slower-than-anticipated canola sales. I do have some questions as to where that Chinese demand is. Is it being diverted from other origin in terms of their acquisitions? Or, you know, there is affordability issues in the broader ag markets, not just in canola, but for all commodities these days with high inflation rates, interest rates very high, and affordability issues in various markets. And the Chinese economy has been in the process of starting to stagnate after two decades of such you know, rapid and aggressive growth. Is there some affordability issues at work there? And that's a question that we just don't know for sure at this time, but you know, we'll be watching carefully in the months ahead. Jupinville says after three straight good canola crops, Australia will see reduced production this year. The estimate is between 4.5 and 5 million metric tons. That's closer to normal and well below the record 8.3 million metric tons last year. On the other hand, the European Union is flush with rapeseed, some of it coming from Ukraine. But when I look at where we are, in relation to European rapeseed, typically for us to do exports into the European market, we need to be, you know, in a price discount of about $35, $50 a ton relative to European rapeseed futures. But in today's environment, you know, we're pretty high priced. 
And this has to do with uh, sort of the influx that we have seen of uh, Ukrainian supply that was backed up from the start of the war when all their ports were closed for the first part of that war. And then the Black Sea Grain Shipping Initiative came into play and they were able to start shipping some again. We had a backup in the system and then the next crop came on top of that. A good portion of that product is going to the European market and it's provided a, a distressed pricing environment in Europe on the oil seeds. And, you know, that has a spin-off effect into the international market and obviously affecting our canola market as well. The last factor pushing canola lower is the largest speculative investment funds. In the current environment, we've seen spec funds building what is purportedly almost a record large net short position in the canola market. So we push this, uh, this is January futures down, uh, you know, we're flirting around this $700 area, which an important area of support technically for this market. If uh, we, you know, convincingly stay below this level, that's uh, has some near-term concerns for the marketplace. And part of that has to do with competition on the export market. Part of that has to do with, we've seen the same price pattern here on world vegetable oil markets. That's a bit of a concern. So now we're looking at cash prices uh, a little bit either side of $15 a bushel in the current market. And, you know, the question certainly now is what next? And Markets Farm Senior Analyst Mike Jubinville will give his view on that question in one minute's time. And so my... We're back with Markets Farm Senior Analyst Mike Jubinville on a webinar yesterday... He was asked if the canola market has hit the bottom. And so my working theory right now is that I think we are in the bottom end. That doesn't mean we can't test a little lower than $700 futures, which we obviously have been just in the last few days. Uh, But uh, this, to me, suggests we're probably at the lower end of things. So from my perspective, I'm really not interested to be a seller of cash canola at the present time, though admittedly this market hasn't signaled a clear bottom just yet, but I think we are having to recalibrate what our expectations are for this market. I don't think we're going shooting to the top end of what we saw previously at the high end of this rally. So if you're thinking of $18 canola, you know, it's possible if we have a big problem with uh, South American soybean production this fall and going into the wintertime, certainly, or China steps up and buys a whole bunch more oil seeds, including canola, than we expect. But I think uh, we have to recalibrate what we're what we're thinking. So in my mind, in terms of an incremental sales strategy, if we saw another a dollar a bushel bounce in terms of a post-harvest corrective rebound and such, might be where I might consider doing another increment. Mike Jubinville is a senior analyst with Markets Farm. Commodities Update. Canola futures closed up across the board today. November canola closed at 682.50, up $15.60. January canola closed at 693.20 up $11.10. December Minneapolis wheat closed at 7.19 and 3 quarters. That's down 4 and a half cents. December Kansas City wheat closed at 6.43 per bushel, down 11 and 3 quarters of a cent. December Chicago wheat closed at 5.75 and a half, down 4 cents. 
December corn closed at 4.80 and three quarters, up one and a half cents. November soybeans closed at 12.97 and a quarter, that's up 17 and three quarters of a cent. December oats closed at 4.02 and a quarter, up five cents. And that's the commodities update. Farm Bulletin Board. Horse enthusiasts from across Western Canada are heading to Saskatoon for the Saskatchewan Equine Expo. The event officially began last night with the opening ceremony, followed by the first session of the Trainer Challenge. Joe Rabinsky is back to deliver color commentary and handle the necessary announcing duties for Saskatchewan Equine Expo. Joe has been there from the start 11 years ago, after being recommended by an organizing committee member who heard him announce a light horse show at a local exhibition. Joe has been involved in the provincial horse sector for nearly 50 years, whether it be as a show participant, team sorting, and even chuck wagon racing. This experience allows him to play an important role in connecting to the audience about what is happening in the ring. I make a point of interacting with uh, the audience um, to uh, maybe um, uh, ask some questions that they uh, be intrigued with um, of our trainers during the trainers challenge or provide supplementary information during the demonstrations or um, uh, in the evenings when we've had various forms of entertainment. Just add anything that uh, might be of uh, interest and benefit largely to a very learned crowd. It's surprising the level of knowledge and experience that comes out to this event, a much larger appetite for this event than anybody had bargained on uh, 11 years ago. He says there will be people attending from across Western Canada. The thing that's really unique about it is the diversity of this event. There's horses of almost every breed that come and participate, which seldom happens at any other horse show throughout the country. There's participants from virtually every discipline that come and participate either by doing demonstrations or presentations. When Equine Expo uh, coins this as the largest diversity of equine interest, it truly is. And certainly the trade fair supports a large diversity of uh, producers, uh, vendors that bring their goods and services to town and provide an opportunity for people again to spend some of their hard-earned money to take home uh, something that might uh, interest or be treasured by them. Rubinsky says horses seem to be making a comeback. In fact, uh, the, the industry is much larger than what a person actually believes, and it's not until you get them all under one roof that you get a sense of uh, how large the industry is. And it's not only just owning the horses. It's the trucks, the trailers, the tack, everything that you need to uh, make good use of your horses. I, I have to share with you a, a quote that was made years ago by Sir Winston Churchill, and it's to the fact that the, the best thing for the inside of a man is the outside of a horse. He says horses are beautiful creatures. They are. It's amazing how you can develop a relationship, a bond with a horse. And once they realize that you're their leader, you're, you make the decisions for them, they're happy to have you in their life. And they'll give you 110% 
of uh, what they have to offer, regardless of whether you ride them, drive them, or uh, just handle them. Wonderful creatures. And Rabinsky says the horse trainers who attend the Equine Expo are the best of the best. They are, and in fact, the Trainers Challenge, which I would have to say has been the highlight of the event for over a decade now, is a great opportunity where each year three trainers come to um, Saskatoon and are assigned, or they actually choose, one of these three-year-old fillies that have never been handled, and over the course of four days, we get to watch their progress back to back to back, trainer back to back, and a huge learning opportunity, and it draws a a big crowd just uh, to learn and see firsthand some of the techniques that are are used by the various trainers. With the final competition Sunday evening that is simply an aggregate of scores that uh, are assigned by three very distinguished judges every year to determine not so much the winner, because they're all winners, but the high point earner of the Trainers Challenge each year. Joe Rabinski is the announcer at Saskatchewan Equine Expo, which began late yesterday afternoon and continues through Sunday at Saskatoon's Prairieland Park. It's now 1 o'clock in Saskatchewan, 2 o'clock in Manitoba. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast. For the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Moosom, and Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions tonight. Mainly cloudy with a 20% chance of scattered flurries later on. Winds west at 10 to 20 and a low of minus 7. For tomorrow, a 40% chance of light snow early on and again in the evening, otherwise mainly cloudy. Winds west-northwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 3, an overnight low of minus 9. For Sunday, mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of flurries. Winds west at 15 to 30, a high of minus 2. Monday, mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of flurries. Also a high of minus 2. And for Halloween, Tuesday, mainly sunny and a high of minus 2. In the Paw, it's minus 2 degrees. Swan River is at minus 3. Dauphin, minus 1. Brandon and Roblin, minus 4. Show Lake Russell, minus 5. Regina, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head all reporting in at minus 5. Saskatoon, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, minus 4. Hudson Bay, minus 2. The Yorkton, Melville region has light snow, a west-northwest wind at 18 kilometers an hour. 85% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 3 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 9 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for SaskAg today for today. Be sure to tune in again on Monday at 12.15 Saskatchewan time for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines. SaskAg today has been brought to you by Future Ford in Melville. Future Ford is your automotive expert. From sales to service, they're the ones you can trust to get you rolling again sooner.